what it means to be redeemed from our sin, what it means to be restored from that state of sin. And tonight, by the help of the Lord, we're going to talk about what it means to be resurrected. And and I will be honest that while I see it and understand it, that's a pretty, even this, I don't know that I can completely cover it in one service, but we're going to do so. So uh, you're just going to have to buckle up and hold on tight. Those words, redeemed, restore, and resurrect. And there is some overlap in that. There's an overlap in what it means to be redeemed and what it means to be restored. But I I think that when it pertains to our salvation, if we can get a, a word picture, maybe that's the best way I can describe it, a word picture of what your salvation really is, it will play a major part in understanding the depth of what your salvation is. Um, and so that's what I want to do today. What does it mean to be saved? If I, if I was to give you the mic and I was to ask either one of you, what does it mean to be saved? We would all pretty much say the same thing just in different ways because all of us see that and feel that in a, in a, a, a different manner. But in doing so, I want to specifically look at the word resurrection. And uh, I, I have really tried to put it all together and, and, and struggle. And, and so you're going to have a lot of verses because that was the only way I could adequately describe what it means to be saved. But I, I found a, a story, or, or at least a part of history, that when, when George Bush was the vice president of the United States, he had attended the funeral of the former Soviet leader, and, and I apologize, I'm gonna have, I, there's hardly any way I'm going to pronounce his name, uh, Leonard Bresnev, are the closest American translation to that. But George Bush said that he was struck at something that happened in that communist country. There was a silent protest by the widow of that communist leader. That there at the coffin, she stood motionless until just before the soldiers were going to close that coffin. She did something that took great courage and hope. She reached down. Now, you have, you have to understand, we're talking about uh, in, the, in, the, in the 80s. We're, we're talking about in the heights of some of that Cold War and the communism that had gripped uh, Russia. But as they began to close that casket, she reached down and she made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There in the midst of that secular atheistic power. The wife of a man who had ruled that country. The wife of a man who had ruled it in such a atheist, godless place. She there perhaps, and, and I'm, I'm not speaking for her, I'm just trying to get a glimpse of what that act meant. But perhaps it was there that she hoped against all hope that her husband and Russia was wrong. There is a God. Perhaps it was that she hoped that there was another life. Another life represented by what is found in the pages of this Bible. A life that even so, and and I'm not trying to play the, the, the part of a judge, but perhaps it was even a hope that God might have mercy on her husband as he slipped into eternity that they didn't fully comprehend. Can I tell you that salvation encompasses all of that? There is more to your life than what you see right now. There's more to your life than what they say on the news or what you've read in the, in the, in the books. What is found in the pages of this book is the truth and salvation is so much more. 
D.L. Moody was a, a incredible evangelist in the 19th century. Uh, I mean, was around the world, but but did a lot of tent meetings throughout the city of Chicago. And he had uh, assigned some ministry students, some Bible college students, to conduct some crusades and evangelistic tent meetings throughout that city there in Chicago. And they were to preach those sermons and they were to, to give the altar call. It was supposed to be a time where people could give their, their souls to Christ and to practice the teaching. And uh, one night D.L. Moody showed up at one of the young men's tent revivals unannounced, kind of slipped in the crowd. I don't even know if the young man knew it. And it was there. He said that young fledgling minister did quite well. He preached passionately about the death on the cross uh, of Christ and, and how it was for the sins of the world. And at the close of the service, he announced to everyone that they should come back the next night and he was going to preach on the resurrection of Christ. D.L. Moody got a hold of that young man at the end and he said, man, he said, you, I'm, I'm going to teach you something. With you telling them to come back, you have to understand there's a lot of people that won't come back. They had one moment, they gave one night of it, and consequently, they have only heard half the gospel. That's why you see a lot of times your pastor say some of the same things in every sermon. It's because I don't want to just give people half a gospel if I've only got one chance to reach them. So tonight, I'm going to do my very best, and I, am, I, I, I feel like I'm stepping in shoes that are size 20. But I'm going to do my very best to give you one of the most comprehensive understandings of your salvation and the salvation that I've received. I'm going to do my very best to show you what true salvation really means. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? And, and I'm going to take the, a, a good portion of that chapter. We're going to read it. Uh, sometimes I may be paraphrasing. I'm reading it from the English Standard Version. Uh, it's, the, it's the version that I've been using uh, this year uh, for my own personal uh, devotions and stuff. And so I'm going to use that. They'll have it up there. Well, they do have it in the English Standard Version. So you can see it there. You can read it in the King James. I promise you, you're not going to see a theological difference. But this is Paul. This is one of the greatest chapters that deals with the subject of resurrection. So Paul says this. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now let me just stop you for a moment. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, Paul is in Corinth. Corinth is part of that Greek uh, uh, cities. The Greeks... Uh, they were the ones that they, they liked to think logically. And there was a lot of Greek mythology and Greek teaching that denied any type of resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but any resurrection. Their understanding was when a person died, if there was a such thing as the afterlife, that only included the soul of a person. And they went ever and did what they were, but the body and the mind of that person stayed in the grave. And they just became worm food. But... Paul was saying, if Christ is proclaimed, if we preach Christ raised from the dead, then how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has, then not even Christ has been raised. If you're going to make a statement that says resurrection doesn't exist, then you are saying by nature of that, Christ did not raise from the dead. And if Christ didn't rise from the grave, then look at verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If we're going to say that Christ didn't raise out of that tomb, 
then everything I've been preaching for my entire life means nothing. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin and those that have fallen asleep have perished because if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, I, I like that this is why I enjoy, and, and I don't have time to try to go in. This is why I enjoy reading from multiple versions of the Bible. Because how many of you know what that verse says in the King James? If we have hope in this life only, we are of most people miserable. Okay? Now, miserable to me, that is a that is a feeling that I would have. I am miserable. But the, the translators of the English Standard Version took that uh, most likely Greek, possibly Aramaic, I'm not exactly sure what 1 Corinthians was written in, but took that language and said, you know what, we, we would like to not translate it as being miserable, but being pitied. If all you have is I live a good life on earth because I go to church and I, I, I worship and I, I, I give to God and all of that, if that's all the hope you have, then people in this world, they, they, they pity you. Because that is an empty existence. Now, that flies in the face, and I happen to love Phillips, Craig, and Dean, but that flies in the face. This is, and, and I'm not trying to be ignorant, but uh, this is where Phillips, Craig, and Dean, or, Phil, or Dan Dean's song, I Choose to Be a Christian, that's where it's theologically incorrect. Because he says, if there was no heaven and there was no hell, I'd still be living this way. Y'all know that old song? That's not true. If there was no heaven and there was no hell, I would not be at church on a Wednesday night. I'd be fishing. If there was no heaven, if there was no hell, if there was no Bible, I wouldn't be living the way that I'm living. All right? So just trying to help you out there. I love Dan Dean. I love his songs. But if all you have is this life, you're most miserable. Lou Nichols is a pastor that I, I, I read something of his, and this is what he said. Let me interject this. This is what Lou Nichols had to say about this 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, number one, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is still in the grave. Number two, if he's not raised, there is no gospel to preach. Number three, if there is no gospel to preach, then your faith is in vain. And number four, if you have no resurrection, then the believers who have died have no hope. If you go back, and, and I don't have time to, to, to get back into it, but if you remember our study on Hebrews uh, toward the end of last year, you would know that because Christ raised from the dead, those Old Testament believers have hope. If Christ would not have raised from the dead, then all of those that died under the law would have died in vain and they're not going to heaven. But it's because Christ rose. Faith in a dead Savior means that your religious beliefs have no value. Your hope in Christ does not take you beyond this life unless there is a resurrection. That's the main point. We can speak, we can talk about you and I's resurrection only because he arose. But let, let, let's keep going. Let's look quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just to finish the thought, let's look at verse 20. In fact, Christ hath been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam we all die. 
but also in Christ we shall be made alive. But each according to his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, where he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, skip down. We're going to skip a few. Skip down to verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For the stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What was sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. When you and I take your final breath, we die. That's perishable. But when Christ rises you from that old tomb, you're going to raise imperishable. He goes on to say in verse 43, it's sown in dishonor. But it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Because it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That means Adam died. Now he lived a long time. Go read it. I think he lived some 700 it seemed years, but uh, he died. So is all of us that come after Adam. It's appointed, what the Bible says what? It's appointed unto a man once to die. Um, but as the man of heaven, so also are those that of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning we are made after Adam. We are all got the same DNA as Adam. We're human. We're of Adam's race. But just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor doth the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now we're going to get back to that a little bit later. But can I just tell you, this is what I'm waiting for. Since I have been seven years old, since seven that I knelt down at an altar and repented of my sins, since seven years old that I have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, since that for 30 years I have been waiting for the moment that this perishable one day is going to become imperishable and I'm going to slip into golden shores and stand on a, a, a place where God is. I'm waiting for that and I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds. All right. Now I love coming to church I love worshiping I love dancing I love clapping my hands I love giving him praise But this is not what I'm living for I'm living for that I'm living for a new home And so verse 51 says Behold I tell you a mystery We shall not all sleep But we shall be changed In the moment In the twinkling of an eye At the last trumpet for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up 
in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, my brothers, meaning everything we just read. So because of that, my brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in your Lord, your labor is not in vain. Have you ever done a job? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever done a job and somebody stiffed you and they didn't pay you? And you have to say, my labor was in vain? Can I tell you that everything you have done for the Lord in your life is not going unnoticed? And there is coming a day, man may wrong you, society may wrong you, but there is coming a day in which God is going to let all of those those scales of justice in your life balance out. And he's going to say it's not in vain. Every time you stepped into a church building, every time you knelt down beside your bed, every time you read your Bible, every time you worshipped, every time you repented, every time you lived for God, every time you did what was right when your flesh called out to do something wrong, that is not in vain because there's coming a day. Coming a day. We're going to read a lot about Paul because Paul had a lot to say about this. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Let me take you on a journey in, in in that chapter as well. And again, we're getting someplace. I want to take you to a very deep understanding of your salvation. Uh, it would be very simple for me to preach resurrection and just start preaching about heaven. But I would like to show you how resurrection starts long before that trumpet sounds. Okay? Philippians chapter 3. He, he's writing to the church of uh, Philippi. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's safe for you. I'm just repeating myself, Paul is saying. I just want to make sure you understand it. Look out for the dogs. Look for evildoers. Look for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are of the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. That word right there that we talk about, jump back, that says, uh, uh, go, go one more back, Brother Tim. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This was Jewish... Uh, people who, were, who, who kept preaching that you had to be circumcised, physically circumcised, in order to be saved. And, and Paul was telling you that, that that's not true. And there were some that became very dogmatic in that. And, and there's a lot. You can read the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is an entire book that is, is, is for uh, warning you to not fall back into the Jewish belief and the Jewish customs. When Jesus was born, when Jesus died, when Jesus arose, that whole gospel of Jesus Christ made null and void the old law. And so Paul is just warning you, you don't have to worry about that. We have a spiritual circumcision. However, if you really want, now we can go to verse uh, 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 4. However, if you really want to, to glory in your flesh, if you really want to say, I've done something, Paul says, I have my reason For confidence in the flesh also, and if anyone else thinks they have reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Paul said, you want to talk about being a Jew of the Jews. If you want to talk about being someone who, if you want to look at works that I've done, if works save you, then I'm the most saved person on the face of the planet, Paul said. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And if you want to talk about the law, I'm a Pharisee. 
And then I was, uh, if you want to talk about zeal, my goodness, I persecuted this church. And if you want to talk about being righteous under the law and following every one of those myriad of laws that have been written, I am blameless, but whatever gain I had in the flesh, I count as loss. Paul had a lot going for him. I want you to listen very carefully for a moment because I, I, I kind of caught this the, uh, this afternoon as I was reading that afresh. Paul had a lot going for him in the flesh, but he counted it or he saw it. That word counted is a financial term. He began to look at it. He began to reconcile his life with that of what it means to live for the Lord. And he looked at that and he began to realize there's a lot of things that I thought I had going for me that doesn't count. If you will, it's like having a lot of deductions on your income tax and then you get there and the tax man says you can't count those as deductions. They don't count. What you thought you could count, you cannot do so. And Paul said, I thought I had this huge checklist of my life that that had everything going for me, but I have to count it as a loss. But I would like to show you this. Not only did he see it as a loss, I would tell you that when you live for God, you also lose some things. Watch this. Here is Paul, that in the Jewish circles, he was the greatest of all. But you start following that man named Jesus. And you start preaching against the things that Paul went to Bible school for there in the Jewish synagogue. He no longer had that same standing. They begin to make fun of him. They begin to say, you've lost it all. You've lost your mind, Paul. You could have been the next high priest. Not really, but you know, you could have been the next synagogue leader. You could have been the next Jewish leader. But Paul, you lost it all the moment you begin to follow that Jesus character. Can I tell you today, that's why Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll lose your family. You'll lose your influence because some things you're going to have to just count as a loss. But look what you get instead. Because he said in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, as dung, as trash, in order that I might gain Christ. Can I just tell you that's what salvation is? I gained Christ. Yes, I had to give up some things. Yes, I had to get rid of some things. Yes, I had to lose some friendships that were bringing me on a wrong path. Yes, I had to turn my ways. But look what I gained. I gained Christ. And if I've got Jesus, what more do I need? I might need a new mic after that. Get so excited, I start throwing mics. Brother Tim just had a slight coronary That's what I gained. But watch this. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Not only did I gain Christ, but that I might be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings and become like Him into His death. So let me, let me get away from, from, from the verse-by-verse verse kind of thing that I'm doing. And let me tell you this. Let me start explaining to you what salvation is. Uh, this is salvation. It's to be redeemed, to be restored, and to be resurrected. See, resurrection is, is a twofold event. Resurrection is both a now event, 
I can stand here today and tell you that I have been resurrected as a person. But I am also looking for a future resurrection when I go to heaven. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. But, uh, but, but let me show you the key parts of salvation. So if I looked at some of you and I said, tell me what it takes to be saved. I would hope that somebody, if not all of you, I would hope that you would say, well, Acts 2.38. Let's go back to Acts 2.37. Some of those that were there, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? So you know what, if someone looks at you and says, what must I do to be saved? How am I saved? It's probably good to just go where they ask that same question in the Bible and go from there. So what is Peter saying to them? Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is a way of describing what it means to be saved and how to be saved. Jesus said it uh, when Nicodemus came, John chapter 3. Jesus said, verse 2, he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. We know that no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus didn't even wait for, for Nicodemus to ask the question. Jesus just jumps right in it and says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So that tells me that there is a born again process that allows me to be saved. Nicodemus can't figure it out. How can a man be born when he is old? Does he go back into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answers, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. And uh, don't marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone that's born of the Spirit. So those are two verses or two passages of Scripture that you and I can use to describe our salvation. But I would like to take a deeper look into what it is because salvation is a progressive event. It is a moving from glory to glory to glory. But we also have to be very careful that we don't get bogged down in that progression and stop before that final time where you walk on streets of gold. I've seen a lot of people start their journey on salvation and somewhere they bog down and because of that, if they don't get started, they're never going to see the ultimate goal of their salvation. Let me show you. The first thing is belief. Belief starts in your mind. Belief starts in your head. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is a liberating thing. When you can, and you know, you go back to the story of the prodigal son. The Bible tells us that he was out there in his sin and he was wallowing in the mire. And the Bible uses this phrase, when he came to himself or he came to his senses. It is a liberating thing to wake up and leave the old mindset and leave the old worldviews and leave the old belief system and one day just wake up and say, you know what? Jesus is real, God is real, and his word is real. When you get to that belief, that is a resurrection of your mind. 
And, and I, I was actually talking to my dad today. I, I do so uh, pretty often, and I enjoy the, the conversations that I have. And, and, and I hope you don't mind, Brother Steve. We got to talking about you. Not that we always talk about you, but we got to talking about you. Because Brother Steve represents this in one of the clearest ways lately. Now, all of us do this, but, but he's one of the, the latest. But I remember when, when you walked into my office, Brother Steve, and, and you came up there and, and you made the statement, I don't really know if there's a God out there. In fact, at one point you made the statement, I don't know that I believe there's a God out there. But then you kind of gave a little caveat, but I'm willing to change my mind if there is. There is something about it. You, 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 don't just, you don't just wake up one day in your sins and say, you know what, I'm ready to get the Holy Ghost. Throw your hands up in the air and start speaking in tongues. The very first event that has to occur in your salvation is there has to be a mindset. I believe God is real. I believe God created me. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I need God. I believe I need to find His Word. And I have watched it time and time again that people who find their Acts 2.38 salvation, you'll find they started a head knowledge of their salvation a lot earlier before that. It's your mind. Remember that, your mind. And so uh, uh, that, that's why if you look deeper into what Jesus told Nicodemus, when Nicodemus, verse 9, said, how can these things be? You know, how can I be born again of water, spirit? Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel. How do you not understand these things? Well, the reason is he didn't have a mind change. His belief wasn't there. Jesus says, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, we speak of the things we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I would have told you earthly things and you don't believe, then how can, I, how, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. See, it is absolutely essential to our salvation that we have a resurrection of our mind to realize that, that it is true you have to believe if you want to be saved. The Bible, he, Jesus goes on and he says it. He, he keeps going. He says, um, for, God did, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, verse 18, whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but who doesn't believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is a, a truth to this. Salvation starts in the mind, a belief, and there is a resurrection. But it leaves your mind and it goes to your heart. That second part, repentance. This belief that started in your mind and you begin to kind of put some things together and you start listening to the word of God and you start believing in what the word of God says all of a sudden that belief leads you to the knowledge, still in your mind it leads you to the knowledge that you're a sinner and you're a fallen individual and now because of what you know and what you believe you want to do something about it that's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 they were pricked in their heart there's a lot of people in this world that they have been resurrected in their mind. They have a head knowledge that Jesus is God. They have a head knowledge that, he, that, that the Bible is true. But they've never let anything prick them in their heart. They've never gotten their heart involved in their salvation. 
when you begin to know that God is true and you begin to see the holiness of God and you begin to put your own unholy life in the view and in the, in the, in the same line of, of, of what God's holiness is, there's something that wells up inside of us and tears. That's why so many people come down to the front, to the altar, and they say, God, I know you're real. And then all of a sudden tears start rolling down their face. It's because their heart just got involved. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I've come short of the glory of God, and my righteousness is a filthy rags, and I've sinned, and I I don't want this. And so they begin to pour their heart out. Lord, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to feel the shame and condemnation and guilt. I don't want that. And they begin to confess, and when they do that, the Bible equates repentance as a death. I don't want that old nature to be alive anymore. I'm sorry, I don't know, and, and dad, dad, as a counselor, dad has had this in times, and even as a minister, and he reminded me of it. Have you ever carried a, 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 a burden of a transgression or sin you've done, and then maybe through a counseling session or maybe to, to a minister or, or maybe someone you've hurt, have you ever confessed and you felt better after you confessed? Now we understand we don't confess our salvation is not contingent on us confessing to a minister or a priest but you know how that is you feel better when you have a, a repented when you've asked forgiveness Can I just tell you right now there is a a, a truth to that but so many people feel better when they've repented and they stop I wash my hands I got that off my chest Me and God are back together we're good well, that, I'm glad you did that, but that is a death, and you have a, your, your old nature is just lying there on the ground dead, but nothing is happening. There's no life. You may have gotten taken care of the things that were in your past, but what are you going to do about right now? And what are you going to do about the future? I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that's why Paul, and we'll get there in a moment, that's why Paul said, I, I, I forget those things which are behind, and I press. Salvation requires you to keep going forward. See, 1 Corinthians tells us exactly what repentance is. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And you see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you and also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Now there's a, uh, Paul is, is talking a little bit more than just salvation right here. There's some other things, but let me just extrapolate that. This is why people commit suicide. Because they are sorry for what they've done, but it doesn't produce godly sorrow. It only produces depression. There is a difference in depression and saying, I, I hate my life and the way I'm living, than godly sorrow that says, I hate the way I've been living, but I want to live right. You with me? I, I, can, I can go all night just on that because we're living in a world that has a lot of godly or, or has a lot of, of sorrow and depression and grief and, and, and they're sorry for the way their life has turned out. But there is a far difference than, oh, poor me, and I'm going to go jump off a cliff to I hate the way that I am. I hate the man that I've become. And, Lord, I want you to forgive me and I want you to change my life. That's godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow begins to stir up things inside of you. Now your, your, your mind and your heart are working together. And now you're saying, I will do whatever it takes to change the way I am. And then you get to that third part. Remember, it starts in your head. It goes to your heart. But now it's going to involve your feet. And I'm going to use feet metaphorically as action. 
Because now you're going to make a choice. The Bible says, uh, and, and let me show you Romans chapter 6, if you'll turn there. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Paul says, you crazy. By no means. How can we, watch this, how can we who, have, who, are, who died to sin still live in it? How do you die to sin? You repent of your sins. Lord, who I am is not who I want to be. And I want that old, carnal, fleshly nature with all of its lust and all of its sinful desires. I don't want that to continue. I don't want it a part of my life anymore going forward. I want your spirit going forward. I want your cleansing. And you put that old dead man down. And he who has died to sin, you don't live in sin any longer. Because don't you know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. How many of you have been baptized in Jesus' name? You were baptized as a a symbolicness that joins what happened to Jesus, the gospel. And so it says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in the order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, so thus death no longer has dominion over him. And the death that Christ died, he died unto sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members, your body parts to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought back from the dead to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Right here is where you're introduced to resurrection. Because I want you to get, we have a baptismal tank there. You can remember your own time of baptism. First off, the very fact that baptism and and, and burial are connected proves to us that baptism has to be by immersion. There is a going under the waters of baptism. Even the very word baptize or baptizo in the Greek means to submerge, to immerse, to get fully wet. And so I want you to get this idea. You got a dead person. All right, dead person's there. What do you do with dead people? You bury them. You go put them in a six-foot grave and you cover with them with dirt and you cover them with dirt. Why? Because that's what you do with dead people and you don't want them laying out there rotting and for sure, not that we believe in zombies or anything like that, we don't want them coming back to life and messing with us, okay? So you put a whole lot of dirt over them and they can't move. It's kind of funny, but, but I want you to correlate that with your spiritual life. When I, when I got my mind connected with God and I began to say, Lord, I, I really believe your word and I believe everything you're saying and it's starting to resonate in my mind and now I want my heart to get involved. I don't like the way I've been living and I certainly am ashamed of the man I've become and I'm ashamed of what I've done in my life and I'm sorry for all of this and so God, would you please forgive me? Would you please help me to, to, to do a 180 degree turn? I was going toward the devil but I'm ready to turn and walk towards glory and you 
come to an altar and you lay that old flesh down and you lay that old carnal nature down and you say, I don't want to live that way anymore. Don't walk away and pick that old man up and carry him with you. Bury him. Bible says we are buried with him. Bible says you, 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 you're going to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission, the removal, the covering of your sin. And so there's an, a, a moment where now your feet get involved. Now there's some action. It's not just head knowledge and heart knowledge. Now you're doing something about it. And so you walk down in, in our church in this room. We got baptismal robes. And you put on a baptismal robe. And then you walk up some steps. And then you walk down into a baptismal tank. And there you stand in 98 degree water. And you're waiting there because you know that not only are you going to do a symbolic act. But this is where what you do starts to mesh with what God's fixing to do. Because you stand there in that water. And with Many times tears or excitement coming and you're saying my head says God you're right. My heart says God you're right and now I'm ready to bury that old man. And so the preacher he puts his arms on you and in the name of Jesus he puts you down in the water. And when you come up out of the water I promise you and you remember it those of you that have done that. You come out of that water and there is an incredible feeling of I've been clean. Now watch this. The dead flesh, the carnal, sinful nature, it died, right? Where is it? It's in the grave. When that preacher pulls you back up, you are a resurrected creature that has a new life. Think about this for a minute. Because when you came up out of that water, the dead nature stayed below. That's why Paul says, and, and see, we, we like to give these, these exclamation marks, you know, nobody's perfect, we're all going to sin someday, and that is true. John said, if we any man sin, he hath an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus, so we understand God is still willing to forgive us. But listen, quit using that as a license to sin. The whole thing in the Bible teaches us that if you'll let God get a hold of your life, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to yield your members to unrighteousness anymore. You can live in freedom. You can live in newness of life. Somebody just needs to say, hey, I can do this. I don't have to go back. But you come up out of that water and, and, and you're there and, and you have risen in newness of life. When you come out of that, what Steve, when, when, you, when you came up out of that water, everything that Steve had been for however long you had lived before you got baptized stayed down in that blood, bloody water, blood Jesus. And when you came up out of water, you were a new creature. In fact, the Bible says, because again, you can look, the Bible says we are baptized into Jesus. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things are become new. And so if you have only been baptized in Jesus' name, see, I'm, I'm giving you a progression. If you've only been baptized in Jesus' name, you are a new creature. But here's the problem. You're a new creature with a new life, with a future that's ready to extend in front of you, but no power and no spirit and no impetus to help you not make the same mistakes. Somebody help me out. How many of you, when you came up out of the water, you came up out of the water and you grabbed hold of the preacher, you looked at him and you said, man, I ain't never felt this clean in my life or some derivative of that. Anybody ever been there? Okay. There's a lot of people. This is why there's a lot more baptisms that happen than Holy Ghost infillings. It's because somebody comes up out of that water and they experience a resurrection. 
You cannot escape it. And I have looked through the Bible. I wrestled a little bit because we don't normally talk like this, Brother Brother Harry. You know, we talk about salvation, Acts 2.38. But I wrestle with this. But but listen, there is a, the, the old died. It's buried. And there is a new person standing there. And people go, wow, that feels good. I'm not carrying the weight of my sin anymore. I'm not carrying the weight of my transgressions anymore. I can do this. And they leave the church under their own power, under their own volition, and it's not very long before they fall off the face of the earth and you never see them again. But they were baptized. There was a resurrection. Here's the thing. You remember when, uh, when, when God sent Ezekiel out, Ezekiel out into the wilderness, that valley of the dry bones? Remember that story? Prophesied to him, and they prophesied, and bones begin to crawl back to each other, and it made skeletons. And the Bible says that flesh, sinews, tendons, flesh covered them. There was a lot of new people that were laying in that field. Okay? I mean, they had been dead, but now they are new. They're not. Then, how many of you remember Adam? God said, God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And all he did was form him, and there was something new that happened. We had never seen this before, new creation in Christ Jesus. But it wasn't until the breath of the Lord entered into that skeleton clad with flesh army, or it wasn't until the Bible says, but God breathed into Adam that he became a living creature. This is why it's important that we not get stopped at the resurrection of being coming out of the waters of baptism, but why we must keep going because it is that we, uh, we, we can come out of the water with a new life and a new future, but you are lifeless. And that's why the Bible says we need the Holy Ghost. If belief is your head, if repentance starts to match your head with your heart, and if if baptism begins to match your head with your heart, with your feet, meaning action, then I'm going to tell you right now, what happens in the infilling of the Holy Ghost really has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with Him. And you probably won't get to the everything that does with Him until you do the stuff you can do. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that some of you in this building, you got the Holy Ghost before you got baptized. I was that way. I got the Holy Ghost before I got baptized. So I I understand there's some, sometimes not everything happens in a linear progression. Even in the Bible, you can find people that got baptized and then were filled with the Holy Ghost. Or they got the Holy Ghost and then they were baptized. But I will tell you that that, that, that salvation is a progression. And so now we get to the Holy Ghost. And it's the work of God only. You can't do anything. It's not your doing. You can't control it. You can't make it happen. You can't fabricate it. It is God's gift, and it is his doing, and he is going to have to. That's why we use the phrase, you need to surrender your life to him. Because you've surrendered your life to him, he's going to enter your soul. He's going to fill you with his spirit. And that that person that came out of that watery grave that does have a future and has a new life, but you're lifeless now, you're going to be filled with his power. You're, You're no longer just a cleaned up shell. See, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, it's like the guy who who, who kicked, kicked the demon out of his house, swept the house and cleaned it all up, but didn't do anything. What does that demon do? He goes and gets seven more and he comes back to an empty house and he jumps in. See, that's why so many people are baptized and then they go out and they fall back into their sin. It's because they were an empty shell with no power. But the Holy Ghost comes. 
now you've got wisdom. Now you've got power. John chapter 16 and verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's because you need His Spirit so that you can walk in newness of life and have the power to say no to sin. Spirit's in there. So let's go back to verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings and become like Him into His death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. There's one more part to all of our salvation that you and I have not yet experienced. I got my heart, I I got my mind involved when I started believing the word of God. I got my heart involved when I began to repent. I got my feet involved in action and I got him involved when he filled me with his spirit and I'm living an overcoming life and I am a new creature in Christ Jesus and there is a resurrection because the old man died and I arose in newness of life but there is coming a day, one day when I'm going to find the end of that journey of salvation and Paul goes on to say in verse 12, I've not already obtained this, I haven't got there yet. I'm not even perfect yet, but I'm pressing on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. That's how the English Standard Version, let me say it because I kind of like how that reads. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this resurrection from the dead. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. (laughs) Brothers, I don't consider to make it on my own, but this one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain, I press toward what lies ahead. I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the incredible truth. you got to keep going forward. Remember how I said there's a lot of people that repent and they feel good and they never do anything else? And there's a lot of people that get baptized and they feel that resurrection when they come out of that water and they never press on? And so they never get the, the Spirit of God that gives them that new life and that new vision and that new fle- flesh. And there's a lot of people that get the Holy Ghost. And they never press on. So maybe those other ones you were okay with because you've already been, you know, repented, you've been baptized, you've gotten the Holy Ghost. Can I give you this warning? You don't stop now. You don't back up and say, well, I've made it. Hallelujah, I'm there. And you stop coming to church and stop reading your Bible. You need to keep your mind engaged in the Word. You need to keep your heart engaged in what God is doing. You need to keep having action going on and saying, whatever I can do. And you need to keep letting the Holy Ghost move on you because there is coming a day when it's all going to be made whole. I see in part right now. I know in part right now. But there's coming a day where I will know it in its completeness. John, 1 John chapter 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and, and what we will has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is where I told you I'd get back. Brothers, I tell you, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. I'm going to tell you a mystery. We're not going to sleep. We're not going to die. We're not going to lay there in that grave. If you have any saved loved ones in that grave, that's not their final resting place. In fact, I'll tell you this. If there's people unsaved in the grave, that's not their final resting place either. 
Because I'm going to tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall arise. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, when the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Well, don't, don't let anybody tell you. Paul had to, had to take a moment to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He, he said, i got to remind you about some things. There's going to be people that are going to come and try to teach you all sorts of crazy things like Hymenaeus and Philetus who've swerved from the truth and they've said the resurrection has already happened. See, here's what I'm trying to get at. There are resurrections that have happened. You resurrected. The dead died and you buried it in the waters of baptism and you resurrected. But that's not the final resurrection. Don't let anybody tell you what you've got on earth is all that's ever going to be. And you say, oh, people don't talk like that. Absolutely, they talk like that. I, could, I, I meet people every day that kind of think that's all it is, what we see right here. But don't let them tell you that. Because I'm glad I resurrected out of those waters of baptism, but I can't wait for the day that I get there. I get there. Would you stand with me? I know it's a little bit differently from the way that I did the other two words. But I want you to see how... how full your salvation is. It's one of those things that the longer I'm alive and the longer I walk with Him and the more I read His Word, the more full I see His Spirit. And I realize afresh what He did for me some 30 years ago and He's still doing a work in me. Remember that old children's song? He's still working on me. Make me what I ought to be. You know, I... It's a kid's song, but I see truth in it. And so I say this, Lord, thank you for what I've felt thus far. <laughs> thank you for the salvation you've given me. But oh, <laughs> would you let me go from glory to glory to glory to glory. You're not going to see that resurrection unless you see a resurrection in some water and in some spirit. I want us to close our eyes right now. God's talking to you. For some, for some, He's just simply reminding you of how deep His salvation is for you. But there's also some here today that you, you, you've gotten to a certain point. Maybe it's the belief. Maybe it's even the baptism. But that's as far as you've gotten. But you can't skip steps. There's no shortcuts to that heavenly resurrection. So I'm encouraging you. I'm admonishing you. I'm, 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 I'm laying it out and setting it in front of you. Men and brethren, what must we do? I've shown you exactly what it takes. Get your heart in mind. Get your heart in line. Believe. Get, get, your, sorry, get your mind in order and believe. Get your heart ready and repent. Get your legs walking to a baptismal tank where you can be baptized in the waters. The blood of Jesus applied to your life. You're baptized in Him. That old dead man is buried and you rise in newness of life. Then why don't you come and let Him fill you with the Spirit so that you can have that, that power. You can have that wisdom. You can have that glory that allows you to follow Him and, and have that power and that touch. And then would you keep walking with Him so that one day you and I can stroll side by side into heaven's gates, resurrected, redeemed, restored, and I'll be like Him. I'm going to open these altars. I think there's somebody that needs to talk to Him, somebody that needs to spend some time thanking Him. Would you do that? we got a little bit of time on this Wednesday night.